announcing to be a great week. So they should be on the road right now and uh, arriving within the next couple hours in Butler to begin their week of service there. And uh, we, we worked with this organization a couple of years ago, uh, joined up with um, 400 or so other teenagers and together had just a tremendous week, um, painted 66 houses in a community that really needed the help badly. And so that's what they're off to do this week is uh, a lot of painting and repair work and other things. A lot of interaction with young people from all over the country who are coming together to do this. So uh, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on them as they go. Father, we just thank you so much that uh, you are indeed the giver of life. And as we look at uh, the, the place in the world where our high school students are right now heading off to serve you in Indiana, um, we ask that, that they will be a strong representation of who you are to the people in that community, um, that they will uh, just share your light in such a, a brilliant way. Um, I ask that you would bless each relationship that uh, develops and grows on this uh, trip, that this would be a great time of, of establishing new friends and deepening old friendships, and um, that this would draw our youth group closer to each other and closer to you and uh, that they would just have a tremendous impact in each one of the houses that they go to serve in. Um, our, our kids, our, our group, will be in 24 different homes this week at least, and um, it's a beautiful thing to think of what you're going to do through them, and so we ask for your blessing on them as they do that and your protection as they travel, and that this would just be a great week, and we ask for your blessing on Josh as well as he leads and heads out with a group that he doesn't know very well uh, spends all this time with them in the vans and, uh, and on site. Uh, bless him through this week. Let this be a tremendous time at the start of his ministry here for him to really connect with our teens and uh, to be a model this week and let them see Christ in him. Uh, we're just asking for great things this week and we commit those kids to you in Jesus' name and we commit ourselves and this service to you in Jesus' name as well. Amen. Well, yesterday I had the, <clears throat> the great privilege of spending the day with our elders. Um, we uh, took the day to just talk about um, where we are as a church, who we are as a church, where we're going, those kinds of things, to begin those discussions as we look at the years ahead, and we had a great day. It was an encouraging day. It was a productive day, and um, I just have tremendous confidence in these, these men who are leading this church. Um, They've been a great encouragement to me, and, and I just want to say thanks to each one of them for that. Um, it's, uh, it's been a, a great ride, and yesterday was a wonderful day, and you'll hear many more things to come as we begin to develop uh, the vision that God's giving us for Chapel Hill Church for the years ahead. But great day yesterday. Uh, this past Tuesday, I got, pat, I got back from uh, a week of vacation that we spent at a campground near Ely, Minnesota. And uh, it was an amazing week. The setting was pretty much perfect. It was this, and um, what a great place to be. We were right on the edge of the boundary waters, and so when we put the canoe in, it only took a matter of a few minutes, and we were in the boundary waters, and uh, uh, it was just phenomenal. And it reminded me of something that I take for granted far, far too often. It reminded me of the generosity of our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, his generosity was just overwhelming there, just to to have the resources, the means to be able to take a week and go and spend it at a place like this. Um, what, a, what a blessing. What a huge blessing. Uh, all the different things that happened there, the, the wonder of the, the wildlife, um, uh, a lake full of fish, um, eagles along the, the shoreline in their huge nests, and uh, 
um, just a whole chorus of bird songs that we woke up to every morning and uh, the deer that were around, the, the wolf that we saw running into the bush. And um, no, we didn't get to see any bears or moose, but that's all right, next time. But had a, a great time of refreshment and a great time of reminder of just how generous our God is. And that's where I want to go this morning. This morning we're going to look at uh, two parables from the teachings of Christ. They have often been viewed as merely two accounts of the same story, um, but that is not true. They're two lessons that stand on their own, but they do share a common truth. And the fact that Jesus used both of these makes me want to know more and to know why. And as I dug deep into these two stories, I discovered uh, things that left me with a sense of awe once again. Um, and I love it when that happens. I really do. Um, when was the last time that you were left with a sense of awe from reading God's word, even stories that you already know? Uh, I hope it was recent um, because it's a, it's a great thing to be in that place. We're going to go uh, directly to the word to read again and to look at these stories. So get your Bibles out. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and put your hand up and uh, the ushers are ready. They'll bring you uh, a Bible that you can use for the morning. And I think you're going to want to follow along in these. So um, when you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read verses 14 through 30 of Matthew chapter 25. And before we read these, we need to understand why this passage starts with the word again. Obviously, there's something else going on, and we need to get caught up in this story. So look back to the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of chapter 25. And this is Jesus talking, and he starts this part of his teaching by saying, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so he's talking about the kingdom, and this is a subject that we simply cannot ignore or avoid when we're studying the teachings of Christ. Uh, in August, I'm going to do a series of sermons with you on the subject of the kingdom. Jesus came to point us to the coming of that kingdom and to explain to his followers what the kingdom is like. It's very different than the type of kingdom that they were looking for at that time. And we'll see that in the second parable that we're going to look at this morning. So on to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And this is what it says. <clears throat> Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, 
I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now find something and put it in that spot in your Bible. Take your bulletin or your sermon notes page or your cell phone, whatever. Stick it in there and turn with me, as long as your cell phone's off, check that first. And turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, and we're going to read from verses 11 through 27. Now, while you're doing that, I want to give you a challenge. We have essentially two months left uh, in this summer, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to read through the Gospels twice before summer's over, okay? Starting today, that means you have eight weeks. That means a book a week. One week for Matthew, one for Mark, one for Luke, and one for John, and then you do it again, okay? Not difficult. That'll take you through the last week of August and into the first few days of September, and I just want you to let the life and the words of Jesus Christ sink in. Just wash over you. See the whole picture. Look at what's beneath the surface of what I'm just barely scratching this summer in our, in our sermons. And why do I issue this challenge? Because no matter how many times I have read the account of Christ's life, I still consistently find something new there when I read the story. Ask God to lead you to that place as you read. I really was taken aback by what I saw there as I read these two parables, which are very familiar to me. But there was something new there this time. Okay, back to the text. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. And again, let's understand why this passage starts with the words, well, they were listening to this. Now, Jesus had just poured out his mercy on a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, of course, was a tax collector. And we've talked about them before. Now, we did that earlier this summer. But salvation, God's grace, had just come to Zacchaeus and his whole household. And Jesus and his disciples were traveling. They were on the way to Jerusalem, and so they continued on in their journey from the place where they encountered Zacchaeus. And this is what it says. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. 
Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. All right, let's look at some of the context of these parables. Um, There's a lot to be learned here, and it's a worthwhile effort if, if, it makes us realize that there's an expected response from us as we read these parables. And we'll focus more on the second parable, the one we just read, so stay there in your Bibles for now. We'll go back to the parable of the talents a little bit later on. But let's make a quick comparison of the two first. Talents and minas. Why did he use two different amounts in these parables? Well, these two parables are indeed similar in many aspects. In others, they are not, and that's for a reason. First of all, a talent was a measure of money. It was not a coin. It was a measure of money. A talent of gold would be worth more than a talent of silver because a talent is a unit of weight. It falls in the range of about 58 to 80 pounds, somewhere in there. A talent of silver, which was probably what they used for currency at that time, was a considerable sum of money. It was in the range, uh, it, was, it would be worth about 6,000 denarii. Now, if you remember from some of the other studies we've done, a denarii is worth about a day's wages. So a talent is worth about 6,000 denarii. So when we're talking about a talent, we're talking about, about, we're talking about 20 years worth of wages. 20 years of wages. Five talents is a ridiculous amount of money. It's a huge amount of money. A life salary to them. Uh, about 20 minutes of basketball to LeBron James. Minas were not quite so valuable. What the servants in that parable got were about three months' wages, or the equivalent of what LeBron gets paid to tie his shoes. Now, why such a difference between the amounts used in the two parables? Well, I think it took away any assumption that a response is only expected from those who have been given much. Keep in mind here that the source of the minas and the talents was the master. That's where it came from. Folks, God is the source of all that we have. All that we have. He has given us much or little to be stewards of, and whether it's been much or little, it has come from him. And these parables are not just talking about money. We need to expand our understanding as we read, and so I want to categorize this as grace this morning. Uh, grace comes in many forms. It certainly can refer to the monetary provisions that, uh, that have come from God, but it goes so far beyond that. God has given us skills and gifts. He has given us peace and joy and purpose. He has given us community. He has given us family. He has given us guidance, security, significance, a mission. He has given us second chances, forgiveness, a clear conscience, a right relationship with the Father. He has given us power, 
He has given us his listening ear and access to the throne. He has given and given and given. And what we have received above and beyond material possession makes five talents look like pocket change. Do you believe that about your own life? Or are you still thinking that you just don't get much? There's another interesting difference between the parables here. Uh, In the parable of the talents, a man went away on a journey, is what it says. But in the parable of the minas, look at what it says at the beginning of the parable. Go to verse 12 of Luke 19. Luke 19, 12, this is what it says. A man of noble birth went away to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Okay, now skip down to the end of the parable to verse 28, just to look there. What story is this that's coming up right after this parable? This is the triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's hailed as king. And so knowing that this is going to happen, Jesus has a lot more to say in this parable. And so he starts this one differently than he started the parable of the talents. The man of noble birth is clearly a reference to himself, to Jesus. And then he talks about going to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. Well, that's what he's doing right now. And he's definitely coming back as king. And that's not the answer that the people were looking for then, but that's his plan. And what a day it's going to be when Christ comes back in all his glory to call us home. This was a reference that was well understood by his listeners. Um, In the Roman Empire, all authority was given at Rome. And so this type of action had actually been carried out recently by one of the Roman rulers. Uh, His name was Archelaus, and he was the son of Herod the Great. And he went to Rome to get the authority to rule over a certain territory, the one that he came from. Uh, He couldn't just take that authority. He had to go to Rome to get it. And there was actually a delegation of his own subjects from that territory that went to Rome to insist that his request not be granted. And it was granted, and he became ruler over that territory, um, but he proved to be a terrible ruler, and he was eventually banished for his actions. So they were familiar with this process, and in this parable, it says then that his subjects, which is a reference to the Jews, hated him and sent a delegation after him to declare that he was not the ruler that they wanted and how true this was about to become in Christ's own life right at that moment. Now that's some of the background on these verses or on these parables. Um, There's more to each one, but I'm not going to go any further with it this morning. The critical reality is that Christ, following his ministry here on earth, went to heaven to receive his kingship and he will return. And in the meantime... He has left us all with something that he has asked us to invest, to make work for him. And here's the investment plan. And this is where I had to stop this week and just let the truth wash over me. Uh, You may have spotted it already, but let's give it a chance to just sink in before we run out of here this morning to the rest of our lives. This is the plan. What we have been given comes from God. He has bestowed on us amazing grace. Jesus left his disciples, including us, With the gift of the Holy Spirit as the agent of his grace, we have been given so much. 
And the question then is, what are we doing with what he has given us? And we're going to have to give an account one day for what we've done with what we've received. And based on the results in these parables, for those who did nothing with what they were given, I don't want to face the reality of what happens if I don't invest what I've received. We can't afford to not take that seriously. Uh, mediocrity in our faith is not acceptable. It's not an option. We will not get by burying what we have been given and failing to invest it in the kingdom of God. David Pierce talked a lot about this last week from what I understand, and, and this is what it means to invest what we've been given. We are to be what we've been called to be, which is disciple makers. But I want to change our focus a bit this morning because I have a tendency that I really want to overcome in my life. And that tendency is to see things from my perspective when I read the scriptures. I want to see things from God's perspective. I want to see these parables from the perspective of what God experiences, not what I experience. And there's a subtle difference, but I think it's one worth noting. This is what I think happens here from God's perspective. In these parables, Christ demonstrates something huge about his father. And the progression of this investment plan goes something like this. God gives, first of all. He's given out of the abundance of his grace, and we have been the recipients of that abundance, that divine grace. He has left with us, through the work of Christ and the imparting of his Holy Spirit, more than we need to be investors in his kingdom. He has equipped us fully, and he continues to fill us so that we are wealthy in all that he has given us. We always have something to invest I was watching a, a cooking show called Chopped the other night, and it's a, it's a competition between chefs to make the most ambitious, creative, and delicious dishes out of some secret ingredients that they're given um, on the spur of the moment. They only have a short period of time to put together a dish using these things. Uh, the ingredients are very strange and not what any of them would choose to use together, but there they are. There's the challenge. Uh, for the dessert course in that particular competition, they had to use cottage cheese, potato chips, miso paste, which is a really salty Asian ingredient that's not intended for dessert, and oranges. That's what they were given. And the chef who won that episode had quite a story behind him. Um, he was easily one of the best chefs I've ever seen. But he excelled in this partic particular kind of competition for a reason. Uh, he had been homeless in, for quite a period in his life. And he had learned something. During that time, he had learned the value in things that others consider waste. And he had learned to create something out of nothing, things that seemed worthless to others. He invested to create treasures, and he learned to make something very great out of very, very little. Folks, you and I always, always have something to invest. We always do. There is value in everything that God has given you. And everything that God has given you is worth investing. But it comes from God. God gives it. And then, the next step in the plan, he gets. He gets. Our investments in eternal things bring to him a multitude of opportunities for him to continue in the giving. The investment creates multiplication. Pointing others to Christ gives him the opportunity to pour out his grace again and again and again. He gets an expansion of his kingdom. He gets more children in his family. 
He gets to redeem, to restore, to heal, to forgive, to renew. And this takes God to his happy place. Now let's go back to the Matthew passage. Um, So go back to whatever you stuck in your Bible there. Matthew 25, I want to look at verse 21. This is what it says. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Have you ever wondered what God's happiness looks like? Maybe you should. Because this is what happens to God when we're faithful with what he's given us, with what he's entrusted us with. And he wants us to share in that happiness with him. Uh, Come and share in your master's happiness, it says. The New Living Translation says, let's celebrate together. The New King James states it this way, enter into the joy of your Lord. Now don't let this just slide by you. Think about the significance of entering into the joy of the Lord. I want to be there when God is joyful. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's inviting us to be there when he's joyful. And what does that joy result in for God? These parables make it clear that we are right back to God's generosity. He pours out his grace to an even deeper level on those who are faithful with what he has given them to invest. For those with the talents, he put them in charge of many things. For those with the minas, he gave them rule over cities. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus talking to his disciples and promising them that they would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. He gives, he gets, and then he gives even more. That's the joy of our Lord. He loves to give. That's his perspective on this grace investment plan. And this is the ultimate win-win situation. So where are you at in that plan this morning? You have received in abundance from God. In a moment, we're going to participate together in the remembrance of communion. We're going to celebrate the generosity of the Father in giving up his own son for our sake. And we can stop with that one thing and agree that God is generous beyond our ability to comprehend. Not one of us can say that we have not been given much, even if we haven't chosen to receive that gift yet. We have been given much. But have you grown beyond the role of receiver? See, God wants investors. He wants us to take what he has so generously given and make it available to others. And that's where he finds his joy, which he in turn expresses in more generosity towards us. Have you entered into that plan? Have you invested? Does it mean anything to you to be an instrument in bringing your heavenly father joy? And that should be enough right there. He is our master, we are his servants. It should be enough for us to just bring him joy, to please him. But remarkably, He wants to turn that joy back on us and bless us beyond our wildest dreams. And it's all about him. And he wanted so badly to do this for us that he gave us his only son. And his son's life was given as the initial gift in this grace investment. 
Will you remember with me this morning that gift? I'm going to ask our elders to come now and prepare to serve. And I want to invite you to join in this remembrance this morning. Well, Jesus was here, he gave us these simple elements to remember him by. The bread, which resembles his body, which was given for us. And the cup, by which we remember the blood that flowed from that body to cover and to wash away our sins. I want you to take a moment before you come to the table today to make a commitment to God. Let him know that you want to grow in your role as an investor in his grace. This act, communion, is an act of receiving with thanksgiving. Commit today to give back. Commit to bring joy to your Lord. Let's pray and then Peter and the worship team will come and lead us in a time of praise as we celebrate communion together. Father, we are so grateful for your generosity. You give and give and give. And sometimes it feels like we've become so accustomed to receiving that we just fail to notice how much we've been given and how much we are being given every day. So do whatever it takes to snap us out of that. To come to the point of recognizing that you are generous beyond what we can express. And every day it's there for us. And as we look at what we've received from you, I pray that we would begin to to see what we've received as something that you've entrusted to us to invest for you. Knowing that not only is it going to bring you joy, but wow, it's going to turn back to us in so much more that you just can't wait to pour out on us. Thank you for believing that we're worth giving to. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to give up your only son to watch him suffer and die on a cross for our sake. To start the process, to give us that initial investment, to put in our hands something that we're to carry with us and to make work for you. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the body of your son, Jesus Christ, for his blood, for believing that we were worth giving that to. Bless us now as we come to remember your son. Help us to see him clearly and to respond accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name.